Listener's warning. There will be some topics covered in this episode that are not appropriate for younger listeners, especially those under the age of 13. This episode contains some traditions from antiquity that might seem gruesome or immoral by today's standards. Thank you for tuning in and remaining open-minded to other cultures' beliefs and traditions. Santa Claus is finalizing his list and he's checking it twice as we approach the end of December. This list is well known to the children of all ages. As the days get closer and closer to December 25th, children around the globe pray they will end up being rewarded with gifts and sweets for all of their good deeds performed throughout the year. A child who lands on the infamous naughty list is said to receive nothing but a lump of coal in their stocking, this being the common westernized belief of today. It was not always like this, though. Did you know that in many parts of the world, Santa Claus is only known as Saint Nicholas, and Saint Nicholas actually travels with a companion spirit? This companion spirit is much darker, and is known as the one who takes care of the children who find themselves on Saint Nick's naughty list. The origins of this spirit predates Christianity, and is still celebrated today in the Alpine villages of Central Europe. They call this spirit Krampus, and he comes armed with fir trees and an empty sack to fill up with the wicked children of the world. In this episode, I will share with you what I have learned about Krampus's ancient origins, what Hollywood has to say, and how this anthropomorphic being is celebrated in the 21st century. Welcome to the Dark Side of Lightwork. I'm Wynne Thornley. In life, I'm a certified and professionally practicing esoteric teacher and channel to the ethers, specializing in demystifying the dark arts. I am also a supernatural nerd and do a lot of personal research on things that go bump in the night. My fascination with the unknown began when I was a kid due to having my own misunderstood psychic experiences. I'm not a professional historical sleuth, just a gal who likes to absorb cool information and share with anyone who will listen. I believe my lifelong fascination with the strange and unusual has prepared me for the work I'm called to do now, taking me places other lightworkers will not go. These experiences have taught me a lot about how many fallacies we are told, and actually believe, about the supernatural and paranormal. Join me as I share with you what I've learned about the realms of the paranormal, mystics of the past, and places that might make you feel uneasy. I want to lift the veil a little bit and take the Hollywood out of the supernatural and metaphysics. If you like what you hear, follow along by subscribing and please tell your friends. The origins of the demon god known as the Krampus is shrouded in a little bit of mystery. In the research for this episode, I was led in a few different directions. I found myself digging into my books on Norse and Celtic myths, and looking deeper into some Christian traditions from a time long ago. It began innocently enough. I wanted to satisfy my curiosity about Krampus as an entity on his own, and what the Krampus Lof, or the Krampus Run, held in parts of Europe. What was it all about? I found out that the Krampus is a fairly new idea to Western culture, even though it holds a deeply rooted tradition in the ancient regions bordering the southwest areas of the Alps. Let me begin this episode with the light stuff, the stuff you might already know about the darkest spirit who appears in early December. I can assure you, the deeper we get into this episode, the darker the Krampus story becomes. 
The origins of the Krampus began in the Alpine regions of Central Europe. Most anthropologists and folklorists agree that Krampus is a, a pagan origins that predate Christianity. We can look to the Alpine region of Austria and the outreaching areas of Bavaria, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Croatia, Slovenia, and the northern Italian regions of Tyrol and Trentino for more information on the Krampus tradition and lore. Since the 1500s, Krampus has known to be the companion spirit of St. Nicholas, the darkness to the light as you will. In many of the Central European regions that I've mentioned, the Feast of St. Nicholas is celebrated annually on December 6th. This is when St. Nick rewards the nice children of the world, leaving them a coin in their shoe or something special in their stocking. It is on the eve of the Feast of St. Nicholas where the Krampus makes his rounds. Traditionally, December 5th is the night where the Krampus is running amok in the streets and in the villagers' homes. Sometimes, St. Nick is with Krampus when he is on the run, and sometimes, this spirit arrives alone. It is the job of Krampus to correct and punish the naughty children of the world, as it is St. Nicholas's job to celebrate the nice. We will get into the traditional punishment handed down by Krampus in just a moment. First, I want to talk about the appearance of this darker spirit. Krampus is traditionally represented as something similar to the classical forest gods of Roman mythology known as the Faun. The Greek god known as Pan might also come to mind here, as Pan is the Greek equivalent to the Roman forest god Faunus. Faunus is the known leader of sorts to the mythical race of Faun who ruled the wild forests of Roman mythology. This race of elementals, or what you might know as nature spirits, are depicted as a hybrid of a goat and a human. But when it comes to Krampus, I want you to imagine a fawn from your most disturbing nightmares. Krampus is always shown as a masculine, bipedal being, with the cloven hooves and legs of a goat's hindquarters. The body is covered in varying degrees of thick, dark hair and fur. His upper body is humanoid in appearance, with the exception of clawed hands, fanged teeth, and a long, dynamic face. The horns of the Krampus are as long and twisted as the tongue that drops out of his gaping mouth. The Krampus is often illustrated wearing either a heavy fur cloak or nothing at all. He is always carrying or wrapped up in chains, and sometimes bells are attached to these chains. The Krampus also comes packing a bunch of birch reeds. He uses these to swat the wicked children who he visits. For those especially misbehaved souls, he has his own sack to toss them into and whisk them away to do as he pleases. As the story goes, some children get away with a light beating from the reeds, while others might be taken away and drowned. But for the worst of the bunch, the Krampus will take these children with him to his corner of the underworld, and then they become a meal. Pretty scary stuff for a spirit of Christmas. As I was researching, there seems to be the pre- and post-Christian versions of how the Krampus is represented. The version I just shared with you is the post-Christian representation. You see, as Christianity spread all over the world, what would happen is old traditions became absorbed into the new ones. Think about the area in which the Krampus legend is most prevalent, even today. All of the regions that celebrate this tradition are bordering the Alps or are located southwest of this mountain range. Back hundreds and hundreds of years, 
The beliefs in this area leaned way more to the pagan traditions and connection with the spirits of nature that surrounded the villages. As Christianity began to spread, some old beliefs would be carried forward and become blended with Christian practice. This was done as a form of compromise from the church and the local people. Many of Krampus's characteristics were symbolic of this integration of old and new. One example of something new that was added to the Krampus myth is the chains he is wrapped up with. These chains represent the binding of the devil by God. As an example of what was kept from the old pagan ways is the representation of Krampus as a bipedaled half-man, half-goat spirit. And now this brings me a little bit closer to the origins of Krampus in the Alps region. The original myth runs deeply in these areas and is far more dramatic than today's representation. But before I get to that, I wanted to cover a false connection that I found early in my research for this episode. Oh, and I, I may very well butcher some of these pronunciations coming up here, so please bear with me. It's not my intention, and I really hope the Swedish lessons I've been taking earlier this year, I hope they help me out a little bit. Okay, so what I read was there was a few articles that connected Krampus to the Norse goddess of the dead. She's known by the name Hel. What I read was that Krampus is the son of Hel. But I also read an article or watched a video, I can't recall anymore, but I recall the information was that Krampus was actually the elemental race spawned of the goddess Hel, and not just the one sun. It was something along those lines. This inspired me to revisit my bookshelves. I definitely recall reading about Hell in the past and in a couple of my Norse mythology books, yet I didn't recall this connection to the Krampus, so I did some reading. Let me take a moment here. I want to give you some backstory on Hell, and this is for those who aren't familiar with Norse myth and legends. Hell is known as the only daughter of the trickster god Loki and the giantess witch and mother of monsters, Angraboda. Hel had two other siblings. They were both brothers. The first one was Frenrir the wolf, and the second was a serpent known as Jormungrandr. Each of Hel's family members have their own sort of tales, so I will keep it simple and stay focused on Hel. Born with a shocking appearance, Hel's bones were fully exposed on one side of her body. She is often represented as a half-black, half-white monster as a result of this gruesome feature. Though Hel was raised in Jutenheim, known as the Land of the Giants, Odin eventually decided that the children of Loki shall reside in their father's homeland of Asgard. Well, the folks of Asgard were so unsettled by Hel's appearance that Odin decided to send Hel away. In the process, Odin gave Hel one of the twelve realms of Asgard, a realm known as Helium. This realm is also known as the Underworld and where Hel receives the dead of all those who are commoners or do not go into Valhalla. And that really just scratches the surface of the goddess Hel. After combing through my books and searching for articles online about this Norse goddess, I was unable to find any sources that confirmed the information that I took in loosely that mentioned that Krampus was a child born from Hel, so we really have to be careful how deeply we research. In this process, I did stumble upon another, lesser-known goddess, one celebrated in the Alpine regions, and who many believe is the true origin of the Krampus myth. This forest goddess 
was also known to be a witch and has an ancient pagan origin. This witchy goddess is known as the Frau Perchta. The myth of the Frau Perchta has such deep roots in Austrian and Bavarian tradition that when the religious rulers of the mid-15th century tried to banish the celebrations connected to her, deeming them to be immoral, the people transformed her into the companion spirit of St. Nicholas, changed her identity to Krampus, all in order to compromise with their new Christian influence. In her origin, Frau Perchta was known as the goddess who rewarded the children who were generous and hardworking throughout the year, while she punishes the children who were lazy, wicked, and liars. She does this by evaluating the results of the year's flax and wool spinning, as well as other domestic duties. It is said that the Frau Perchta would roam the countrysides beginning midwinter, visiting the homes of all the children of Austria and Bavaria during what is known today as the 12 days of Christmas. Frau Perchta's most celebrated night takes place on Epiphany Eve, once only known as Perchta's Day in the Alpine regions. Generally, this is celebrated on January 6th each year. Frau Perchta embodies the duality of good and evil and would greet you as she saw appropriate. For the well-behaved and productive children, Frau Perchta would appear as a beautiful horned goddess draped in white. She would leave a piece of silver and one shoe as a reward for the children and servant girls who met their annual spinning quotas and were well-behaved all year. General tidiness and generosity was also rewarded. For those children who were deemed lazy, disrespectful, and generally evil, the Frau Perchta showed little patience or mercy. The consequences were severe for the wicked, and these children were met by an old and ugly hag brandishing a knife to carry out her prescribed punishment. Their bellies would be slit and their stomach and guts removed. The cavity would not be left open and hollow, oh no, it would be filled with pebbles and straw and sewn up before the Frau Perchta would make her way to the next home. This dramatic punishment was also served to anyone who ate anything other than fish and gruel on Perchta Day, as those were the traditional foods served on feast night. Traditionally, on Perchta Day, the townspeople would celebrate with a parade known as Perchtenlaufen, or the Perchten Run. This tradition is still practiced in Austria and the Tyrol region of Italy today, and is known as Krampuslauf in other regions. The purpose of the Perchtenlaufen celebration was to scare away any evil Perchten from the home and offer wishes of good luck and abundance for the year to come. The men of the town were dressed up as the beautiful and the ugly Perchten spirits and roamed the streets causing harmless mischief and playing with the kids. Kind of like Halloween in December, the beautiful Perchten would be dressed in white and portray the softer, friendlier version of the horned forest goddess and her minions. They may even hand out goodies throughout the parade, and not only on the streets, but also while visiting the homes of the town's children. The ugly Perchton, well, they would be dressed up with long black hair, twisted horns, fangs, clawed hands, and cloven and hooved feet. Those dressed up as the ugly Perchton were tricksters of the bunch and they will tease the kids and the townspeople as they run the streets on feast night. Today, you will see the ugly and beautiful Perchton split and transformed into St. Nicholas and Krampus. As I mentioned before, many German, Austrian, and other regions west of the Alps celebrate Krampuslauf, or the Krampus run. 
You will see a mix of townspeople dressed up as Krampus and St. Nicholas parading in the streets. And I just wanted to touch on the St. Nicholas representation here just for a minute. In the Western world, we're used to seeing Santa Claus dressed in red velvet robe, uh, red velvet hat and pants, all trimmed with white fur. The traditional Saint Nicholas is known as the patron saint of children. His attire was more formal with white tunics and vestments similar to the ceremonial garments of the clergy today. He may also have a scepter and a peaked hat to represent his sainthood. The Central European regions that practice the tradition of perched in Lofton do so on January 6th, while the others who follow the newer tradition of celebrating St. Nicholas Day host their Krampuslof on December 5th. I'm always interested to see what Hollywood has to say about the strange and unusual subjects I'm interested in. In my quick search of Krampus in film and TV, I found no less than 10 movies released between the years of 2013 and 2020 that hail Krampus as the main antagonist. I was surprised. The only movie that I have personally seen or even knew about was the version by the title of Krampus and this was directed by Michael Daughtery and it was released in 2015. I thought it had a great cast, it was fun and frightening at the same time, and I highly recommend you adding it to your holiday watch list but you might want to watch it for the first time without the kids. It is a horror comedy, but it really does have some seriously dark moments. It plays on the modern tale of the Krampus with a super surprising ending. I liked it a lot, actually. Now that I know there's a multitude of other Krampus films to check out, I look forward to seeing how other directors were inspired by Krampus and the Perch to Legends. My research for this episode took me down many, many roads and I had a lot of fun doing it. I highly recommend you check out the links in my show notes about the Perchton. This goddess has connections to the Brothers Grimm, the Hohen Salzburg Castle in Salzburg, Austria, and the mythical Wild Hunt, which is said to be led by the Frau Perchta. I find it so interesting how some celebrations from antiquity can remain unchanged over hundreds and hundreds of years in some regions of the world, yet become almost unrecognizable in others. The case of the Perchta, St. Nick, and the Krampus is a fantastic example. I think it would be so amazing to attend the Krampuslof and experience the midwinter holiday season through the eyes of another culture. One day, when the skies and the seas are open again for travel, I look forward to finding myself in a small village in Central Europe, dancing with demons in the streets. Thank you so much for popping by and spending some time with me today. I really appreciate you being here. I'm excited for the growth and change happening for season two, and I would love to hear your feedback. The Dark Side of Light work is where I'll be exploring topics of the strange and unusual that I have long researched. My intention is to bring light to the darker subjects others shy away from in spirituality, energy work, and the paranormal. Show topics will include mysterious places, infamous hauntings, stories of the unusual, like the Krampus, and psychics from recent history and antiquity. I invite you to leave a message for me at my Anchor FM page, letting me know how you like it. You can also share your personal experience with a show topic, or even share a show idea. I listen to each message and may include your idea or recording in a future episode.
Since I'm an independent podcast host and producer, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts would really help others find my show. If you would like to contribute to the expansion of the Dark Side of Lightwork, I would really appreciate your rating and review on any provider you're tuned into right now. Outside of my podcast platforms, you can find me on the internet and social media by searching for Winds Soul Remedies. I invite you to check out my events section on my website and Facebook page. There, you can explore the three different eight-week spiritual health care boot camps that I have lined up for January 2021. The route to crown overhaul is for those Reiki practitioners or other energy workers who may have fallen behind in their personal energetic practice. The Empath's Remedy is all about creating the empowered empath in just eight weeks. And the third, I will be demystifying mediumship. Over eight weeks, I will show you what you need to know to prepare yourself and your energy to reconnect with your loved ones who reside in the ethers. Join me as I begin the new year demystifying the dark arts. In my next episode, I'll be sharing with you what I have found out about the Calling Lake School located in Northern Alberta, Canada. Disembodied voices, shadowy figures, and feelings of unease, this is reportedly one of the most haunted sites in my home province. Thank you once again for listening until the end, and I look forward to dropping the next episode soon. So until then, take good care.